It is episode 33 of No Putts Given this week, and our episode is twofold. First, we're breaking down one of the biggest stories in golf media this week, and then second, we're giving in to consumer demands, and we're talking about pitting the last five winners of the Most Wanted Driver Test against each other. So, let's get it. No Putts Given is powered by My Golf Spy, the most extensive reviews in golf. Before you buy, my golf's buy. Nine million readers do it every year. Check us out. All right, so let's bring in the guys for our first segment today. Harry and Adam are going to take a break, and we're going to chat with Tony Covey, Chris Nickel, and our special guest, Ryan Balaji. He owns GolfNewsNet.com. Tony, can you give us a breakdown of what exactly Golf Magazine did this week in their Top 50 Club Fitters article? Yeah, I mean, really simply put, they named TrueSpec the number one fitter in Gulf America in, in North America. And while, you know, I suppose you can make an argument, there's no doubt that that TrueSpec is among the leading uh, leading companies in the custom fitting space. What what was left out is the fact that TrueSpec, Golf.com, and as well as a few other companies are all under the same corporate umbrella, 8AM Golf. So effectively. You know, with with a bit of nuance here and there, golf.com essentially named itself as the the top fitter in the in the country. So um, before we move on, I'm I'm I should take a break to to say how proud I am that my golf spy has named me the number one golf equipment editor. Uh, so real honor, Funny, guys. I got an email being, about being the best host of No Putts Given as well. So. <laughs> and the nice thing was we all sat around. We didn't tell Adam this, but the four of us sat around the other night, and we all voted to give each other pay raises too. So right? We're feeling we're feeling pretty good about that, and uh, I'll buy dinner next time. So, <laughs> but I mean that you know we we jest, and and it's it's good because it's a little bit of gallows humor, right? In the sense that this is really a serious thing, and and it's unfortunate because you know in the media space, trust is is paramount, and. It's not that everybody doesn't give each other a little bit of latitude to understand some of the vagaries of marketing and saying things that aren't 100% true 100% of the time. But when it crosses a line into credibility, disclosures, these type of things, um, you know, then, you know, my, my first response is, well, if this is true, what else haven't you told us that might also be true that we just haven't haven't figured out yet? And maybe that's the you know parent of teenagers approach. But it's like, dang man, if you snuck out once and you came back, you know, smelling like you know backseat of my buddy's car that you know I know, and it's like, what else are you missing? You know, what else well, are you not telling us? I would say Ryan can probably fill us in on the the long list of things that have been missing. Yeah, this isn't the first time this kind of thing has happened. And as Tony alluded to, it's it's part of a pattern that makes you have to look at it and understand what's going on instead of looking the other way. Uh, Howard Milstein bought Golf.com and Golf Magazine a couple of years ago from the Sports Illustrated family of publications as part of their little fire sale. And it, he kind of immediately integrated the editorial part portion of Golf.com and the commercial part of his other businesses into the the publication. Uh, he named the, the golf.com family slash golf magazine family named a Nicholas design, one of the, the best renovation in the United States the year after they purchased the magazine with no disclosure whatsoever uh, of the purchase until all of us kind of raised a stink like, hey, this is a bad thing. And then they put one piddly line at the end of the article. 
And then uh, another example, I mean, they do this all the time on social where they won't attribute the the ownership or, to, or describe the transparency. But uh, the, probably the most glaring example before this was last year when they did a fitting article, again, in concert with True Spec Golf, which in that case, they actually did tell you the ownership, which is weird. But the next part was they were doing putter fitting and trying to come up with graphics as a way of explaining how a putter should look when it sits on the turf. And just so happened conveniently that on each back of the putter, there was a mural logo. And they didn't disclose whatsoever that the North American operation of Mura is owned by ADM Golf as well. So they, they find very interesting ways to slip in uh, this weird prom self-promotion. And then at other times, they seem to actually want to mention what's going on. But in this case, it's particularly glaring that they didn't mention it at all. Now, Ryan, you were one of the first to expose Golf Magazine after this article came out. Why is it so important to do so? Well, I think from a couple of different perspectives, it's it's important. For one, for me and for, for us as media, I think the lack of disclosure and transparency makes media look bad. It makes us look like we have something to hide, uh, even if we have nothing to hide, because by proxy, they're one of us. And I think it also hurts the club fitting world, because as I mentioned in my reporting on this, uh, you know, True Spec Golf could be the best club fitter in North America, very conceivably. They're very good from all accounts. But because there's no transparency involved in explaining the clear conflict of interest between having golf magazine rating fitters and being part of the same holding company that has true spec off, ultimately it looks like it's tainted. And that means the fitters themselves at true spec off could feel tainted. Uh, it means that the ranking itself is tainted. So at the end of the day, I think it makes everyone look pretty bad if you know what's going on. And I think, you know, not not to stray into just the the difficulty in what they're trying to do anyway, right? Take the true spec relationship off the table. Determining the, the top 100, top 50, whatever it is, club fitters and applying a consistent rubric across an entire continent is exceedingly difficult. So it's one of those cases where it's it's super dicey to name anybody number one to begin with, made extra dicey naming you know, a sister company, number one, um, you know, I, I, I don't know how you take something on like that. And if anything, I think maybe the digest model where it's, you know, in no particular order, here are the top 100. And yeah, you may, once you get into that 85 to 115 range, you, you may have some argument, but you're so far down the list, it doesn't matter. But to sort of just name yourself, your sister company, number one. And yeah, I don't know. It's, uh, it's sketchy. That's, that's just what it is. One, it's a at face value, it's a tough list to compile for the reasons that Tony already articulated. Number two, the way in which they went about it, it really looks like they kind of handcrafted a rubric that would shine a very positive light on their particular model. And then three, go ahead and name yourself the number one of that list. Um, you know, I mean... It's, it's more than a dicey situation to me. I think it's just patently dishonest. And, you know, if you want to use a, a real strong word there, you know, if I were to give you a definition and, and say that this word means to be dishonest for personal gain, that, that sounds like it might fit this situation. But the, defi uh, the word we're describing there is corrupt. That, that is the definition of the word corrupt. And that's a strong, heavily loaded word. And I don't know that I would want to use that word specifically, but the descriptor ab absolutely fits. So Mark Timms, the founder of Cool Clubs, called them out 
Is this a respectable move in y'all's opinion? Well, let's let's start this part of the discussion by disclosing that we do work with cool clubs on our shaft reviews. Um, okay. There's that's strictly non-financial uh, arrangement. Like we have access to to their shaft database, some of the tools they use, and their their fitters provide input on the shafts, which you know we think is actually beneficial to the readers. And in exchange for that, we mentioned that hey, this this data comes from cool clubs. So that is. That is the extent of the relationship, but I think it's important to put it out there. And yeah, we've, you know, I know, I know Mark a little bit. I've worked reasonably closely with some of the people on his team. We've, we've profiled one of his fitters when we did uh, some stories on, on women in the golf industry. So we do have a relationship there. Um, so, so certainly if anything else, that just kind of, from my perspective, made it all the more interesting that, that, you know, it is somebody we know and somebody who work with, we work with that's taking that step to, uh, to essentially call them out on the uh, on the list and, and everything that went into it and, and some of the issues with it. I, I mean I think it's I think it's fundamentally great. I mean things like this should be given the attention that, that Mark kind of shined on. You know, it, it's on us guys on the media side to kind of run with it a little bit and we haven't published any stories about it, but we're not but we're here talking about it. Others have talked about it and so you know it's always it's always a little delicate when you when you are in the media and you have to talk about something somebody else your essentially your colleagues in the media did. But in this case, I think it's it's fair, it's warranted, and so you know I, I think if anything, Mark kind of Mark's open letter served to kind of jumpstart that discussion and, and to a degree kind of put some of us in the media on the spot to say, hey, or you know, here's what happened. This is all real. It's it's easy to document. Uh, clear as day, what are you guys going to do about it? Are you going to say anything about it? Or are you just going to let this stand? And so, hey, yeah, we're, we're here and we're talking about it. And, you know, Ryan is here and nobody's written more about it than he has. So. so is the problem that they didn't disclose the relationship and the conflict of interest, or is the problem that True Spec came in at number one? Yes. I think it, <laughs> yes. Yes. It's <laughs> a great question. <laughs> I think anyone's kind of talked about this would agree that if they had come in fourth or fifth or 10th or something like that, no one would have batted an eye. would have gone, okay, that seems about right. Pretty fair. Good, hard look at yourself. Uh, but since they came in first and then tour experience golf, which has exactly one location in Ontario, Canada, and the owner just happens to be good friends with the president of 8am golf. That also seems to be kind of suspect, but also something that not many people would know about. So they can put those two things together and then just kind of hope by not disclosing it, no one will ask any questions, no one will say anything. And even people like us who are having a conversation about it might not be able to reach enough people that it would upset the general kind of golf reading public. Well, I think had they not finished first, I don't know if Tim's writes that letter. Mm -hmm. um, so it's all it's all hypothetical to a degree. But that really, for me, is the tipping point because it's again, it's rare that we see the top brass from one company directly call out another company because there is inherent risk. In, in doing that, you're putting yourself out there. You expect some level of backlash. Um, you know, it's, it's probably not something that Mark woke up that morning saying, hey, here's what I want to do today. Um, and so once it rose to a level where it bothered him enough that he needed to put that information out there, then that became something that was the tipping point for me. If it's fourth, fifth, or they, you know, ranked the top 20 fitters in, in America or whatever, and TrueSpec ended up on that list somewhere, it probably doesn't rise to that level. It's probably not worth Mark 
Mark's time or risk for his company to put that type of criticism out into into the open space and like Tony suggested, really begging you know, and asking us to to at least comment on it or do something with it. Yeah, Brian, I think if we're talking methodology in terms of how they come up with the rankings, I think the most direct way to put it is, is it rigged? Was it built around true spec being number one? I think that's a reasonable question. Uh, I mean, you can look at the way some of the questions were worded. I posted the 15 questions uh, questionnaire on, on my Twitter account. So if you're interested, you can read it for yourself. But some of the questions seem rather innocuous relatively benign, maybe not particularly in-depth. I mean, they ask the club fitters to say in 50 words how they fit for irons, drivers, fairway winds, wedges, putters, etc. They ask what equipment that you use. They ask what intellectual property you might have or proprietary technology you might have for fitting. They also ask for some reason what celebrities or professional golfers that you work with. <laughs> That's my favorite one. I... <laughs> I, and I don't understand what relevancy that has to whether you're a good club fitter or not, but who am I? I'm not an expert. So, uh, but at the end of the day, I, th I think if you look at the questionnaire, it seems like it's geared toward an outcome that true spec believes it does fittings the best and it, it's methodology, it's set of beliefs and how it's operated is, is number one. So therefore, if you agree with those sets of beliefs and you answer that way, then maybe you have a, a better chance of doing well. And if you don't, or you take a slightly different approach, then uh, perhaps you're not going to get ranked as highly. But I, I can't say for sure that at the end of the day it was rigged. But you kind of get that sense when you start to kind of piece things together. And I, I can understand why people are cynical about the outcome. Ryan, has there been any response from Golf Magazine about people calling them out and saying, hey, wait a minute, there's something a little fishy here? No, it seems like the strategy has been the opposite. Mum's the word. I'm kind of coming to believe that that is the strategy. Uh, because, frankly, that they have more ground cover for what they're doing than we unfortunately do in terms of reaching the same number of people who would who might see this list. And so I think they, if they believe that not acknowledging this is a problem is probably the best strategy, because ultimately, if they do acknowledge the issue, then it taints the list that they further taints the list that they have published, and then they would have to either go back and offer some kind of retraction or redo the list or explain it to a lot of people. So I think they're going to try and see if they can let this slide. Well, this is something Ryan and I have, have actually discussed briefly is, is the idea of like, who is actually going to know about this, right? Because as Ryan said, uh, 8am golf slash true spec slash golf.com has, despite the controversy said nothing about this. And, you know, it's reasonable to assume you know, for example, we know that that a lot of our, our readers, our listeners don't necessarily know that Titleist owns Pinnacle or that that Cobra is under the Puma umbrella and all these kind of little sister company relationships. So if they don't know about it at the the level of the equipment they're playing every day, it's it's unlikely they're paying attention to the extent that's going to make them aware that, yeah, a, this this company, 8AM Golf, which is really just a holding company, owns Golf.com and owns TrueSpec and owns Miura and owns Clubs Connects and owns the the Nicholas brand, essentially. It, making those connections is, is not something the average guy is going to do. So, you know, it, it's possible there. It's part of just keeping this quiet as part of the plan so that the 
average guy, the guy who is not invested in the level we are, has no idea and never thinks twice about it. But as soon as you kind of put out a statement and own up to it, then then you're sort of like opening yourself up more to, to more scrutiny kind of across the board and moving forward. So is there a fix for it at all? Or is disclosure simply as far as they can go? Yeah, maybe. I mean, maybe maybe the solution there would have been to to sort of take true spec out of the ranking process to a degree and I don't know, highlight them in an honorable mention kind of way with a with the full disclosure so that you know they still can highlight what true spec does well, but but without having that that kind of inherent conflict there. So so like I, top editors at my golf spy, not named Tony Covey. There we go. Yeah. Uh, something like that. So, yeah. I mean, and it's, again, I think that the whole ranking fitters thing is inherently close to impossible anyway, but sure. Whew, yeah. So Tony, to what extent does the club connects device play a role in the entire schematics of golf magazine and everything that's going on? I think it, it's probably hard to to overstate how important it is to the 8am brand. And, and for those who don't know, Club Connects is basically it's a, a universal tip adapter. So, you know, instead of putting, say, a tailor-made tip or a Titleist tip on a shaft, you, you put a Club Connects tip on it and then using a, a secondary adapter that fits in the head, you're, you're able to take one shaft and put that exact same shaft into any head you have in your your fitting drawers and and the advantage of that is now instead of if if i'm selling let's you know a fujikura ventus right if if i'm fitting for a fujikura ventus 60s instead of having to have that shaft with every manufacturer's tip on it i have a single shaft with a club connects tip on it and the reason why that is infinitely important for the 8am brand is Basically, every large-scale custom fitter in, in the U.S. that I'm aware of uses the Club Connects system. So you're, you're talking about hundreds, if not thousands, of shafts that use this tip. And every time, let's say, you know, Fujikura releases a new shaft and it's available in 40, 50, 60, 70, and 80 grams in, you know, regular in the low end and RSX in the rest of the lineup – Think of the permutations of how many just Club Connects adapters you need for a single fitting location. And now you scale that out to that, that same setup to every club champion in the world, every cool clubs in the world, every hot sticks location. And it just goes on and on, TXG, right? On and on and on. Everybody is using this system. And every time a new shaft comes out, everybody has to fit every shaft in every location with a full complement of the club connects tips and you do it over and over and over again and that is just a non-stop revenue stream for for club connects and ultimately 8am golf yeah a number of folks have reached out to us in somewhat in confidence but um, to have said that they've been approached by true spec golf demanding 10 percent of their gross revenues uh, or net revenues depending on who you talk to just for the right to be able to be a club connects customer so, you know, as Tony mentioned, with every SKU, with every new club, you have to come up with Club Connects. So you're purchasing again and again and again, constantly refreshing. So you're you're basically being asked, based on these folks who have reached out to me, uh, you're being asked to pay an upfront fee just for the right to use the these uh, tip adapters in the first place. And that's a source of revenue for Club Connects and ultimately the ADM family that uh, gives them a lot of power in the marketplace. 
it is a way to to put almost a, a forearm down. You're, you're stepping on your competitors' backs because every time they use this tip, they're they're paying you. And you know, Ryan has mentioned they're they're talking about charging a, a flat rate buy-in fee, a percentage of your sales to to use the adapter. And so you know, that's where we're starting to see counterfeits and things like that crop up. And ultimately, people working or trying to work around patents and develop a system so that custom fitters don't have to pay their competitor to to essentially stay in business or or at least at a minimum significantly reduce their their shaft inventories which are pricing in their own respect yeah they're ultimately going to be a, a court decision about this between club champion and their use of uh, parts from china around uh, kind of the club connects knockoff effect uh, that that's going to lead to legal action some kind of rolling in the end and I know the club champion has been trying to pursue their their own version of Club Connects uh, as best they can to work around patents, but still achieve the goals that they need with a Club Connects part uh, without necessarily having to fork over big time money to them. Well, and whether or not it ever rises to this level, and I don't want to overstate that it that it does, but it, it feels a lot like the reasons that we have like antitrust laws right around things like monopoly plays and and you know basically the idea is you want to keep the markets in balance, you want to keep the competitive elements of a, a healthy market in play for multiple providers, and some have seriously questioned whether or not this violates the competitive balance of that particular segment of the industry. And um, you know, it, it, you can certainly see why a lot of people feel that way. Well, you gotta. I mean, you know, I again, there are other options, right? You can put tailor-made tips on tailor-made shafts and and sort of scale your shaft inventory, which is is going to be way more expensive because you still got to put tips on them anyway. Right. Way more expensive than it would be to go with the Club Connect system. So, yeah, I mean, there is a, an element of it that is monopolistic. But at the same time, you know, part of me says, hey, you, we really need to give these guys credit for identifying a, if you will, a, a, you can phrase it as an opportunity or a weakness in the entire system. And, and having the, the foresight to go out and, you know, acquire that brand. Uh, but, yeah. You it's, certainly it's, won't have any of your shafts in the number one uh, you know, fitting location in America, if you don't. Yeah. And so it's, it's, but it is, it's, it's all part of this empire elements of which are certainly you, you hate to toss out accusations, but there are elements of this empire that, that don't always feel like it's, that's on the up and up. Well, let me, let me float a, a theory or possibility off you. What if, what if the, the primary reason why, why Howard Milstein and 8am golf uh, acquired golf magazine was as a promotional vehicle at least in large part for for his other brands right if, if that was was part of the strategy behind that acquisition hey we can buy this and use it to to promote these other things does does explicitly disclosing those relationships at every turn sort of devalue the purchase to a degree that has a hint of conspiracy theory in there but it doesn't seem too off base given the evidence well it's 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 very interesting because if you look at kind of what they've done since since the acquisition the product is inarguably better in terms of you know what they're trying mm -hmm. turning out the video content you know bringing on john wall bringing on andrew tursky recently i mean these are like i said and in addition to the to the, the team of outstanding writers they already had in place. And, you know, I naturally kind of focus on the equipment side of what they do. It's, it's significantly better than, than it was 
and yet at the same time you're seeing that kind of undermined by this other stuff so it's i mean this is probably the uh, said the fifth or sixth example that i've noticed or has been pointed out to me of a clear lack of disclosure and a clear conflict of interest that wasn't acknowledged in either golf.com golf magazine or their social properties and so if, if you do it more than you know a couple of times in mere coincidence it starts to become a point of question are you doing it on purpose are you neglecting your transparency i think you're 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 compelled to be more transparent are you doing that on purpose are you avoiding that on purpose and i think the question comes down at the end of the day how do the executives at 8 a.m value journalism how do they value the magazine and their media product and as tony mentioned do you see it mm -hmm. as a a promotional vehicle with a whole bunch of other stuff attached to it or do you see it as a, a true journalism outlet that uh, is going to do its absolute best to put out the best product every month. And I agree that the golf.com and golf magazine products are better than they were. So you can't dispute that. But uh, uh, again, as, and I hate to be repetitive, but as Tony said, that makes the other stuff all the worse because in one hand it's been elevated and improved and it's a better experience for the golf consumer. And on the other hand, it seems seedier and you kind of slip these things in uh, to, to make the experience worse when you kind of realize what's going on. So guys, we all know how these operations work. You have journalists that write articles, that do research, that bring all of this to the audience. Do you think that it is the journalists at Golf Magazine making these decisions or it comes from higher up the corporate ladder? If I look at this kind of like from, from my perspective as, as at the editorial level, the guy that's producing the content, right? My guess is the guys at that level don't really have any say in how this stuff gets framed, right? The directives are, are coming from higher up, but you know, it's if if I'm in the position, if I'm editorial staff at, at golf.com at this point, I'm starting to feel like my credibility is on the line because of something that, you know, the higher ups are doing. This I just can't knowing knowing some of those guys it, I just can't imagine that this is something that they're they're totally on board with because again, like there is an inherent and highly visible conflict of interest. And if, if you're in a position where you say nothing about it, you kind of become a part of it. And that's, you know, there's no way if, if, you know, we owned another company, I mean, true golf fit, for example, right. That is, that is a, my golf spy brand. We built that. We don't hide that. And if I was ever put in a position where I'm just constantly trying to steer people towards true golf fit, possibly over going to a local fitter and something like that and was told that I cannot disclose that relationship, man, I, you know, Adam and I would be, there'd be yelling and screaming and, you know, upside here is he would never put me in that position. Uh, but yeah, it's, I, I, I kind of feel for the editorial staff at this point because it is so shady. Well, and you have to go down a couple layers to get there, right? To find some of the evidence of that. And if you read just first couple intro paragraphs in the club test piece, you see, um, like I said, we've worked with, uh, you know, some of the people over there and, and by all accounts, you know, had great relationships with, with them. Like I said, I find it hard to believe that they're good at their jobs. They are like among the absolutely best, absolutely. The best in the equipment space. Yeah. J wall's great. Tursky's great. Absolutely. And so when the line in there says, you know, Hey, we, we've partnered with like, you know, the world's foremost authority on club fitting comma true spec golf without any mention, without anything, I have a hard time. Yeah, feeling like they felt good about seeing that particular piece in print because fundamentally, I, I I don't think that's who those guys are. At least not not what I know them to be. 
So Ryan, you said we're doing our jobs as media watchdogs, essentially, and calling them out. Is that the fix to something like this, or is there even a fix at all? I think the best possible, best available fix is just sunshine. It's, it's calling it out when you see it, calling it out for what it is. Uh, I mean, this is probably the fifth or sixth different example that I found, and I'm sure I've missed some of where ADM golf companies have kind of been playing not so nicely in the sandbox with Golf Magazine or, or Golf.com. And if you can call it out each time you see it, you, maybe you open people's eyes to it one by one by one, and over time you reach a critical mass. But the Golf.com and Golf Magazine are, if not the biggest, one of the biggest publications in all of golf. So if you're punching up at them, if you're trying to kind of break through and get people to understand the inherent conflicts that ADM Golf has in owning all of these companies throughout golf verticals, if we all kind of band together and are willing to call ourselves out and call out uh, a lack of transparency, I think that's the best path forward. Otherwise, we're just going to let each other get away with it over and over again. Okay, guys. Well, I think this has been a good discussion. Ryan, you're a great voice on this topic, so keep doing what you're doing. Uh, we certainly appreciate you joining us to shed a little bit of light on it today. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. All right. Tony, Chris, stick around. We got more to talk about. All righty. Harry, Adam, welcome back, guys. I'm back. <laughs> I know my fans <laughs> Yeah, were, we missed my, you last <laughs> week. My fans were missing me for that last segment, but, mm-hmm. well, my mom was missing Both me. Both of them. <laughs> <Your> <laughs> That's mom. about it. Well, I think I think the fans enjoyed it without me on last week. I enjoyed it without me on last week. It was a great show. <laughs> I, I can't actually, say anything. No comment. I, I actually I, really I, enjoyed I, I listening to last job. week's show without did me. Did we get away with anything last week? I don't think we did. No, we were pretty... We a lot less F-bombs without me on here. Hmm. That's for sure. Roast, roast beef? A lot more roast beef and less F-bombs. So let's get it. <laughs> yeah, Chris, what do you have today? I got summer sausage. Uh, <laughs> it's almost gone. Uh, it is okay, gone. Wait, wait. Well, can I show you what I got? Yeah, Yeah, what do you got, Tony? I got Uh, got summer Hillshire Farms summer sausage this week. Here we go. I got a hat. (laughs) (laughs) The guys at Fuji were kind enough to send one that fits, so woohoo, Motori X hat. I like it. It's a cool hat. I talked to Austin, and he said you're a little, uh, um, uh, yeah, I can't say bitch. Yeah. (laughs) And so he sent sent you a new hat. (laughs) That that does not sound like Austin. (laughs) No. <laughs> okay, well, now that we've got hats and sausages out of the way, Tony, we have a big announcement for our readers, don't we? Uh, yeah, I mean, for us, it's, I guess it is, it's going to be big for our readers. It's something they've asked us for um, basically every year since Most Wanted started, and so we're, we're finally going to do it. And the thing we're going to do is that once we've determined a winner – after we get through kind of most wanted driver, we have a winner for 2020. At some point in the not too distant future, we we will be putting the last five winners of most wanted driver head to head in an entirely separate and new test. I have one opinion I want on this one. You you thought you were done with driver testing this year? Yes, I did. <laughs> he is done. We fired him. We brought someone yeah. else. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought the big surprise was something else that was in your house, Tony. I didn't think it was the hair. You're fired. Okay, great. Yes, <laughs> yes. I'm free. <laughs> uh, it's a hat. <laughs> throw that hat away. Yes, another another load of driver testing, but it will be very quick, in a way. But it will uh, be thorough. Well, compared look, to the driver test. Yeah. So this is the most requested test that we've had in 10 years of my golf spy and rightfully so right so like is newer really better 
is an, a great question that golfers want to know the answers to. And a few things. You would think that, yes, newer is always better. And it is from an evolutionary standpoint, not revolutionary standpoint. Uh, but as we've mentioned before, just as a reminder, golfers don't buy drivers every year. They buy drivers, I think it's every 3.9 or 3.9 years. Four-ish, so, yeah, four-ish, four to five. So our rule of thumb, after looking at all the data that we've done, is drivers gain about a yard a year from over time, right? It's the general rule of thumb. So if you're out there in the market and going, hey, should I replace my new, my driver that I own right now? If it's one year old, probably not. If it's three years old, maybe. And if it's five years old, probably, right? Yeah, unless unless you've got a pond that you failed to clear by one yard habitually, in True. which case maybe that, that, <laughs> that extra so, yard will be worth it. But So the value in this test is one, we're going to prove probably what we already know to be true, I think, and that is that there's not that much difference from year to year, but people are going to see kind of how much difference there is over five years. And, you know, I'll let Tony answer this, but the one question we got from so many golfers is, will you do this? And the next question is, why haven't you done this yet? And there's a good reason why we haven't done this So yet. is the structure of it, you're pinning winners, only the winners only of the Only the top performers. Top performers. Okay. So it's not that you're trying to compare the last five years of, say, Cobra to each other. Or... No. And that's one of the problems that is out there in the space of the YouTubes and things like that. They'll take a driver from five years mm -hmm. ago, and it might not have been a good performer, right? So we're going to, we've leveled the playing field by going, hey, through a test that we have very strict protocols on, right? We've identified these five as the top performers. So now they can go head to head and it kind of gives you a barometer to see, okay, with only the top performers, how much difference is there versus we know there's a lot of difference from first to last every year. So the value in this test is kind of a, a few fold. It's one, you're finally going to see a large scale test done versus what you see on the YouTubes, right? And also for consumers that haven't, replace their driver in a long time, they will now know which ones they might want to go out. But I think eBay might be on fire a little bit after the day we publish this. So Tony, even though this is going to be more of a fun consumer demand, like they wanted this, so we're giving it to them kind of thing, we're still going to be thorough, follow all the Mike Off Spy protocols, right? Yeah, and that's that's kind of been a large part of why we haven't done it to date is that you know, when we get into most wanted season, it's it's nonstop. Harry can attest, right? It takes, you know, a full-blown driver test two to three months, and then we roll right into irons and then fairway woods and hybrids and so on. Like, it, it takes forever to get through a season. And so squeezing something in because of, of reader demand is, is not necessarily easy to do and to a degree is disruptive. But there's enough demand that, that it's worth doing. And for us... If it's worth doing, it means it's worth doing right, which means it, it has to meet our most wanted standards. So, you know, our minimum standard for for, a, for tester count is 20. So we'll have at least 20 testers on this. Uh, same type of shot counts we would get in a standard most wanted test. Same type of processing that goes into it, the analysis of the data. So everything that we do in a most wanted test, we're going to do in this smaller test that is basically just the winners head to head to head to head to head is that right so the last five winners um so tony can you remind everybody that's listening what the winners of the last five years are this is a test i will be grading it 
So this will be what? We're going back from 2016 through uh, 2020. So 2020 is unknown. 2020s, yep, TBD. All right, here we go. I got the list for you right here. Okay. If we want to go, if we want to go 2015, I don't think we're going to go to 2015. But if we did, it would be the Cobra Fly Z. Ooh, I would love to do that one. 2016 Taylor Made M1. Check. Good 20, one. 2017 was Shrixon Z5. Was it the 545? Nope. 565. 565. All right, so 565. Next, uh, that brings us to what, 2017? No, nope, 2018. 2018. 2018, sorry. Ping right, G400 re re LST. This question. <laughs> re ask this question and let me give the list. Okay. Um, <laughs> but I'm having fun recalling. I got it right. You were you, so far so you good. You were close. You were close. Um, I was. Okay. Yeah, just. <laughs> just thought of shit over so again. <laughs> All right. Adam, can you remind the listeners what the winners of the last five years that we're going to be All testing right, are? So gonna... 2016. Taylor made M1, kick ass driver. Still. 2017, Srixon Z565, a shockingly good driver in that year, at least that year. Ping G400 LST, which I still think is the baddest driver ever made from a total, you know. It's pretty good. Yep. Callaway Epic Flash Sub Zero last year. AI, baby. 2020, to be determined. So we will know that can in we about get, a can week we get or two. Hint? Do we even know anything? We don't know we... who the winner is yet. Ooh. No, we're gonna. So quick update, right? The our our data analyst that we've been working through. I with I talked to him right before we hopped on no putts given, and he's gonna, you know, you run the data a bunch of different ways and kind of see what pops. So we're gonna look at what we have and and how it can be presented. And yeah, you know, yeah, we'll we'll have a winner in the next day or two. I have I have my predictions, but I will not disclose. All right, that's what we're gonna do. No, we're gonna go around. Well, I was gonna ask if head to head the last five uh, winners. What do you guys think? The last five winners. Who's gonna win? G four hundred. Is that what I you're think, still playing? Uh, that's I'm in between that right now. Here's yeah. my here's my prediction. My prediction is that the 2020 winner is going to be the Ping G410 LST, and I think it's going to win overall for the. But top the G400 is gonna. Oh, you, oh, okay. I see what you've done there. So he gave us a 2020 prediction and thinks that that's going to sweep yep. the competition for I the do. last five years. I Chris, do. how about you? What do you think? I uh, That's a good question. I, You know, because of what the G400 did originally and the struggles we had coming up with a way to improve on it, you know, they, they changed the lie angle to a flatter setting or gave you that option. Um, you know, that, that would help somebody, I know like Adam, you know, that would help you a lot across our testing pool. I don't know. Um, so I'm actually going to go with the previous version, the original, uh, 400 LST as, uh, as my choice. Okay. Tony, how about you? You're in the trenches with 2020, but yeah, I... does Puma, does Puma make a driver? <laughs> uh... You know, I uh, I'm I'm hesitant to make a prediction, but I will I will say that that my gut is it's going to come down to a ball speed machine like a a Callaway Sub Zero versus a well-rounded offering in a a lower spinning well-rounded offering like the the 400 or potentially a 410 LST. You so got a four, you got about a 40% chance of winning. I was going to say you just named like all of the five <laughs> winners of the previous five years. Very nice. <laughs> and the versatility of the M1. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
Well, let's add one thing. So not only are we going to throw the top five years in, but we're going to let readers choose a six driver to throw in the test. So this okay. could be a Callaway Ooh. Great Big Bertha from ages ago, a persimmon driver, super quad, you know, tailor-made. Nike Sasquatch. What about the hammer? The can we, hammer? Can we do the hammer? How about Moad? Can we get Moad, Moad in there? Ooh. Ooh. Anyway, we're going to let readers choose what the sixth driver is that we put in the test. Well, I, I guess you didn't want to listen to what I had to say. For, you said oh, it off the top, sh- I thought. <laughs> no, no. Okay. But right. whatever, guys. I'm not. <laughs> I swear, I'm fired, I, I so swear it's fine. that's what you said. Suck it. I'm only the guy that does the test. <laughs> I'm the only one that's actually seen all drivers being hit. Um, I think we're going to see a surprise this year. I do think... This dare, is for 2020. 2020. I do I dare I say... Tommy Armour, 845. Ooh. And I just because I've seen seen a lot of testers really like that driver and I've seen some good numbers out of it um, from it. I but overall I think I think the G four hundred LST will win. It's amazing because if the Tommy Armour wins, you know, whoever wins, we don't care, right? Whatever wins, wins. But if that thing <clears throat> wins, pitchforks are coming out, man. Oh, of course. Oh. But <laughs> I mean data doesn't lie. I mean data is the data. If it does if it does We win, don't it care about win. brand names, but man, readers sure do. And they are gonna be pissed know, if Tommy Arm wins. I mean, and this is this is the one year too where we've been more hands off with our own data than ever before. So, you know, certainly we'll we'll play a role in, in determining and, and some back and forth on determining what what the best methodology we can use is moving forward. But in terms of sort of running the numbers under that methodology it's it's nice to have some help in that regard and be kind of hands-off and and almost you know we can't entirely separate ourselves from the from the result obviously but to sort of just you know go hey here's here's the data what do you think you know um it's a little scary but still really kind of cool to be in that position to to have you know a little help with it that we haven't had in the past well the at the the end the final say is going to be what my goal is by determines the winner when it comes to the whole driver test like we're not just handing it over to someone and they're going to pick a pick a winner we still know no, again we're still we're running we have our methodologies yeah right and it's it's kind of working to improve those methodologies a little bit and you know certainly we've stumbled on some things and i could if i wanted to which i don't so i'm not gonna i could tell you what the longest driver is uh, but we know longest is not necessarily best but in, in terms of just you know pure pure distance I know that answer. We're still looking at the forgiveness piece and the overall, but it's nice to have one answer. I'm not sure. You're torturing everybody. That's going to be an awful <laughs> torturing me because I don't know. Tony, I can't this. believe you wouldn't tell well, us. Tell us and we can edit it out. What is it? Currently texting Tony. Wait, wait, wait. Let's not, <laughs> let's not do this just, just in case Matt doesn't edit it out and then we give it away. No, Matt, <laughs> Matt has been. All right, let, let's let's have a guess and I'll see if anybody's right. Let's go around right, the longest? room. Longest. Yeah. Go ahead, Chris. Well, don't don't um, tell him know. if he's right or wrong yeah, yet, I think because I then yeah. that will okay. Uh, Mizuno two hundred G. That's a guess. Next, that is a guess. Go ahead, Harry. <laughs> That's a guess. I I think it's Tommy Armour. You think it's Tommy Armour? That's Armor? a guess. Next. I'm trying to read his expression, Adam. <laughs> Ping. That's a guess. Next, <laughs> Miranda. I don't I don't know if I have a guess. Go Callaway. Okay, fine, Callaway right <laughs> it's Fuck. by like how much uh roughly three percent longer than the average driver in the field what jesus so but if you take an average driver if you guy who hits it 300 yards and picks and that's nine yards yeah yeah 
It's it's impressive. Matt, you should keep that in there and then just go black and then fade back in and we can all be laughing because we know. <laughs> yeah, actually have the guesses. I loved in the first few episodes, I would you know be listening to it while I was working and it's me like editing the show behind the scenes. I'm like, what the f- is that? I was like, Matt, you got to take this shit out. Like, I'm like, when I say take it out... <laughs> Like one of the cake Rex things where the guy just just writes everything you say on the cake. Right. <laughs> it should say, happy birthday, Joan. It should say, it happy should. birthday, Joan. <laughs> but uh, Tony, you said we'll be hearing about all of the results in a couple of days, right? Uh, well, I'll say a couple of weeks. A couple of weeks? <laughs> week, I thought you said in a, a day or two. No. Yeah. Well, that's when we'd know. It doesn't mean like it ah. takes us some time to pull everything together. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So a couple and then of I've got to write the article and put everything together and make it look pretty. Miranda's got to write the article. Who's going to write the article? Shut up. <laughs> Have you seen what I've been writing already? Man. Yeah. I saw you copied and pasted from last year, so excellent work there. And I have been <laughs> editing from there on. You said to do that because you had a platform, you idiot. <laughs> Everything is platformed. No, yes, no, it is. It's it's a nice template, but I didn't mean exactly. to claim that you just you've been doing a lot of writing. <laughs> you haven't you haven't even looked. You haven't been seeing him. Control Tony. C, Control V. Oh my god, I'm so tired mentally. I'm so good at my job. <laughs> hey, no wonder I'm being fired. Uh. All right, good to, good to see you guys. All right, so just a reminder, everybody. We're going to do the top five most wanted drivers from the last five years, but also we're going to add a sixth driver to the test. This test will be happening after the our most wanted driver test concludes, and then we will begin the other test. So we are going to add a sixth driver to this test, and it's going to be based on reader feedback. Uh, so send in your request on what you would like us to add to the test, whether that's an old you know, Callaway Big Bertha, old persimmon driver, whatever it may be. And we'll put it out there on social media as well. But anyway, that's that for the top five tests of most wanted drivers. And I think that's that for no putts given today. That's that. So what am I supposed to say? We out? Is this the Larry Bird episode? Is this number 33? It is 33. Hey, Larry Bird, peace out. We out. Larry Bird. Thanks, guys. Who's that guy? Oh, Who's that Lord? guy? Please what tell me you were still rolling. Send him back. <laughs> Send him back. Yeah.